girls welcome to the final episode of VOX world before christmas so merry christmas if you are tuning in to this uh, this last episode of 2022 i'm joined by sonia talati today of uh, godaddy and i'm delighted to welcome you along sonia welcome thank you for joining me thank you so much yeah super excited to be the last in the holiday series it's going to be a great end of the year. I feel like people are excited for a year that's fully non-pandemic. <laughs> no, no, um, I know. So I, I'm personally looking forward to it. Nice one. Thank you. And you've dressed for the occasion. You're wearing red Christmas kind of yes, red. Exactly. I really should... I really should have had my Christmas jumper on. Today's the only day I haven't had my Christmas jumper on for some reason. I don't know why that is. I'm, I'm looking <laughs> down there as if it's down there, but it's not down there. It's next door. <laughs> is it well, a onesie? Yeah. No, no, no. It's just a Christmas jumper. It's kind of like, uh, you know, snowflakes and Santa Clauses and all that kind of stuff. Nice. Um, but I'm, I'm letting this, I'm letting the side down today. Yeah. yeah. You know, I was actually in uh, New York this past weekend and New York is like one of the best places to be during the holidays. I mean, it is holiday mm. come to life. And I, I found out that like the amount of money that's spent to make all those windows and the you know street decorations and whatnot is in the high millions and I was just mm. impressed. Um, crazy. Yeah, yeah, like the Macy's windows, so so beautiful and so expensive to make. It's like Santa's workshop that it takes. <laughs> they start it in about July or something, don't they? I, uh... Oh yeah, and ju- yeah, they do. Yeah, I, I remember actually as a journalist, I covered it. I went to the to the workshop where they create everything, and it feels like wow. we're in the North Pole, you know. Yeah, it's mad. It's crazy. I just missed all of that when I was in New York in October. Ah. They were just setting up the ice rink. You could see Mm -hmm. little sprinkles of Christmas. Like we went into Macy's and we went upstairs on the very top floor, kind of out of the way of everything. They had like a Christmas floor. And you could just see a little glimpse of what it would be like, Christmas trees everywhere and stuff like that. And you could see that they were sort of beginning to build up to it. Um, so yeah, next year, hopefully the voice summit next year is in December. I think we're going to do the voice summit again next year. Uh, so we're going to have another track, another VUX world track, uh, at the voice summit. And so that's in December. So maybe we'll stop off at New York on the way back. Yeah, absolutely. Or even in the summer, like to give you an idea of how much they spend, Macy's spends like in July during their fireworks, they spend $10 million. The average fireworks for a large show is around 20000 So you can just imagine what? the budgets these companies have. Yeah. Oh, my days. That is crazy. <laughs> that is absolutely crazy. Hopefully, they're spending some of that money on technology yeah. as well. Uh, and ah, maybe some, yeah. well, some some AI automation technologies. You know, yeah, right? maybe at some point. It's definitely a good user experience. You know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you so you began your career then as a journalist. You were a journalist for quite a while. You were also a TV anchor, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So you've got a lot of kind of communication skills which would make you a perfect candidate for conversation design. Uh how did that how did your interest in conversation design come about going from journalism to now this? Yeah, that's a great question. So you know, I feel like my life has been very organic. And interestingly enough, when I started off as a conversation designer, it reminded me of my very first job when I used to write scripts for, you know, the anchor and reporter back and forth. Um, and you're designing that, and you know, put it, putting in the package and where the video goes and whatnot. So in some ways, it was as familiar as what I had started off with. Um, Interesting. And, you know, as any good story goes, I actually discovered conversational AI when I was with one of my mentors at a bar in New York City. And he owned a conversational AI company, and I have to really thank him for educating me about, you know, sort of the beginning stages. And this was when every company was a startup and no corporations were, you know, were doing anything really related to conversational AI. Um, And... What I decided to do was I started my own company where I was essentially helping preserve people preserve their life stories. And I thought, what better way to do it than through conversations? Like imagine hearing the life story of your grandpa through an Alexa machine or something like that uh, versus, you know, going through a book or some, or whatnot. And it was very popular. So after I launched that company, it, it you know, really lifted my, my total focus into conversational AI and its use cases. Um, so that's that was the entry point, and then I, you know, kind of moved on to work at different companies on their initiatives related to chatbots, 
voice, IVR, etc. Nice. And it was here hereafter, wasn't it, that company? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, it's, it's still around. And actually, the, the Wall Street Journal won its first ever Emmy for a documentary that featured it. So really, that was yeah. It, it was a it was all my worlds colliding, and I wouldn't have expected that. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy, yeah. Because I remember I told you before we had James James Vlahos, who was your co-founder, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, on yeah. on the show ages ago. I can't remember what year it was, but he would just written "Talk to Me." Yes, yeah, his book about yeah. the dad fight. Yes. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, yeah, it That's was literally cool. just then. Yeah, it's crazy. So that must have been an interesting period because a lot of the conversational AI applications that you see out there in the world are very constrained. I think the world has woken up to the reality of having domain-specific conversational AIs. You know, in, in yeah. like 2016 and 2017, when you had kind of the rise of Alexa and stuff like that, it was sort of like everyone's talking about these high and wide assistants that could help you with absolutely everything. And then mm-hmm. when you try and create something like that, you quickly realize that actually it's very difficult. And so having very domain specific knowledge is a lot easier. And from a company's point of view, makes far more sense. GoDaddy, for example, where you are now, it makes far more sense that all of GoDaddy's mm-hmm. conversations are related to GoDaddy's products and services. Right. And so, but what you were doing with Hereafter is, it is quite high and wide, isn't it? I wonder if you could explain a little bit about the gist of what that is. Yeah, absolutely. So the way that we went about it was we used a uh, voice platform to essentially feed into uh, feed into it as an Alexa skill. Uh, so we were one of, you know, one of the Alexa skills that exists. And so what Amazon does with Alexa and has been, has done in the past is have these different skills that are specific, you know, pages, if you were to, to think about websites or pages of information and um, you wake up that skill with certain words. So in this case, it was a privacy protected. So only you would know, you know, the, name of how to wake your grandpa up or whatnot and there'd be a passcode and then then you can have that conversation so for us it it really felt like we were using using a tool out there that really does everything and is very generalized but our our use case is very specific and what i found from all of my different experiences it tends to work best when the use case is specific and really clearly laid out that crystal clear vision helps the product really achieve what it set out to do and, and you know has intention uh, and we had that so that that was that was wonderful it ended up working out really well so that's how we did it mm. yeah the that visioning part is interesting because it, it's for a lot of deployments that i've seen in the conversational ai sort of realm that you know i used to work in service design i used to do a lot of digital service design and the very first thing that you would do once you've done that discovery and you've understood your user needs and the pain points and the current kind of lay of the land as far as the customer Mm -hmm. journey and stuff like that is you would say you bring a whole team together and you say right this is what's going on these are the areas of pain and this is what the customer needs are that we need to solve. Here's what the problems and the staff are facing and the technologies that we have. What's the vision for what this can be in future? And it would always start there. What's the vision? What do we want to do to turn this around? And then everything you did after that with your new service design would basically be in line with what the entire organization believes to be the direction that it needs to head in. I don't know what your thoughts are. And, you know, you obviously worked at a bunch of different companies working with conversational AI. So you've probably experienced probably both of these sides of the coin, which is that in some reason, some cases, it seems to me as though conversational AI today is being seen a little bit like a stick in plaster in some cases. Let's just put a chatbot on the website to stop people calling us. Let's put a, a voice assistant in the IVR in some cases to stop to stop people getting through to an agent kind of thing. It doesn't really seem as though there's much vision behind it unless you look at Erica or Eno or some of those kind of higher profile assistants that are quite clearly taking a, a completely omni-channel yeah. approach where it's it's mm-hmm. intended to be the front door. Don't always get that with a lot of other companies. I, w- I would say that vision is lacking in some senses. I don't know if you concur with that. I absolutely agree. I think not having a big vision is and a clear use case is a big impediment and it ends up creating further delays down the line. Um, so if you think about like, 
you know, when you purchase a skateboard or a, a recipe book or, uh, you know, a set of skis, usually there's intention behind it. Like I want to exercise more. Uh, you know, I want to spend time outdoors. I want to bake something for the holidays. Uh, and that's, that intention is really important because it drives what ends up happening and the execution of it and, and the deliverable. So I, I found that, you know, because this technology is so new uh, and, and finally, you know, impermeating different organizations and, and uh, reaching maybe multiple years of maturity, it's still very nascent. And it's super important to have that carved out uh, before before starting this path. And I, I really feel like that's something where organizations tend to fail at. And it's critical to have experts who are helping to drive that vision and helping to curate that before getting into the work itself. Mm, yeah, we used to have um, at the beginning, so once we got the vision, we would start every meeting at the beginning with that vision. Every single slide deck that we ever created had the vision as the first slide. And it was kind of like a constant reminder because everyone who who is involved isn't necessarily always involved. I think maybe it's different at GoDaddy. I imagine you've probably got a, a dedicated team, but for many organizations, it's people who have got, you know, as, as is the case with many roles, you're wearing about six different hats. Thursday, you're working on a, on a right. chatbot, but then, you know, Monday morning, you're back on content or you're working in security patches or you're doing, you know what I mean? It's like, it's lots of people do lots of different things. So being able to bring people back on track to say, this is the purpose of why we're doing this before we kick off any sort of, you know, sprint or whatever it might be is, is really important, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you hit the nail on the head there, King. It's super important to have that and to keep driving it over and over again. Uh, so that when that person's coming in to wear that hat, they know where, you know, what's going on. So at GoDaddy, we have a team that's dedicated to the chatbot. So it helps in terms of where people's focus is. Um, but, I, you know, there's so many areas that we can focus on. And we do a lot with our chatbot. We do everything from, you know, helping a person renew their, their product to, you know, walking them through a issue they might be facing or they want to learn to build their website. So that can lead to, you know, so many different intents can come from that. You know, I want to add a, add a blog. I want to add an image. Can you show me how, you know, what's the best kind of video uh, style that I should be incorporating? So it really ranges. And as a result, the, the asks that we get sometimes really range too, because, you know, People sometimes tend to think there's a magic wand and the chatbot can solve it all. Um, so ha kind of being able to go back into that, you know, something like what you mentioned where, you know, this is really our vision. This is what the purpose is. That helps. Uh, the other thing I would say is there's multiple sides, right? Just like as writing goes or, you know, having this podcast goes, it's all about the audience where there's a communication between what the goals are and that meeting what the audience intentions are. So, you know, there can be a desire to reach a business goal. Like, you know, we want to reduce uh, costs, costs to customer support, for example. But if that's not met with the customer desire to gain support through that medium, then we're, the, the purpose has been lost in mm -hmm. translation. Uh, that's the other thing that I think is really, really important is really thinking about who the user is going to be and does this really work for that person. Mm. And with GoDaddy, it, it must be quite a challenge because you've got, although the domain is constrained, there's only a certain number of topics really that people are going to talk about. But within those topics, you've got in incredible complexity. I think we might have lost Sonia again. I was going to say that GoDaddy has incredible complexity because um, you are dealing with all kinds of issues uh, that people might come across. Here we go. We're getting Sonia again. Hello. Hi. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. <laughs> it's all right. It's only momentarily. We can uh, we can patch it up on the podcast. We can remove the audio. It's fine. What I was yeah. going to say is that with GoDaddy, you have, um, although the topic itself is constrained, the, within that topic, you've got so much complexity 
because somebody might be having a hosting problem. They might be having a problem with emails that they're using via GoDaddy. They may be wanting to know something about WordPress, you know, in terms of how do you configure this part of WordPress or whatever. They may have a billing query. What am I going to do? What do I owe? Or they may be having a, a domain query. Can I sell this domain? Or, or there's there's a lot of complexity within that. And, and I imagine it'd be interesting to understand from your perspective, like, what the scope of the of the assistant is as far as allowing kind of like self-service resolution versus mm -hmm. gathering a bunch of information and handing it off to an agent because i imagine some of it's quite long tail that you might get is that is yeah. that true absolutely that's 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 100 percent true so we uh, our customer facing chatbot is very complex we intend to answer so many different types of user inquiries and typically people come in, you know, desiring support and really like want to know how they can fix something, how they can update something, get help for something, learn more about it. Uh, so, so there's a whole slew of variety that's inbuilt for our chatbot to be able to understand. Uh, so with, you know, great complexity comes great responsibility. <laughs> um, so, you know, just like with great power comes great responsibility. So we really have to do an amazing job at, a cer at certain things. We have to do a really good job of being able to have excellent training so that we're actually able to understand the exact ask and not sending the person the wrong way. Uh, we have to be able to, you know, guide the person sometimes because oftentimes, you know, uh, the typical customer is an entrepreneur. They're not uh, website developers. So, so sometimes it's helpful to kind of make it easy for them so they don't have to think about their ask and we can kind of get them to the right place. Um, and really just being on point of, of tailoring the conversation to the customer. So if we know things about them, you know, what their metadata, what page uh, they're on, who they are, what products they own, uh, might be a little easier to curate the initial conversation based off of that. So there's several tools we use for that. And as far as the part about, you know, when we would hand off, some of the issues are low complexity, some are middle, some are high complexity, you know, and high complexity can be, let's say it's a troubleshooting uh, a website issue and there could be multiple solutions depending on different small bits of data that would be hard to gather over a conversation well. Uh, you know, that might be a moment where a person really is valuable. And this was something that I talked about at the Rework Summit in London, which is the power of being able to understand where human beings really have their value is so important as an organization. Uh, that's the other piece of the vision that has to be crystal clear because there are pe things people can do that a bot cannot do now at all. Like we just don't have the technology for that. And it's just much better done in the hands of a person. So defining as an organization, what, what does that look like? Where is that? What are those moments? Uh, mm. Can really help keep it clear as to what that vision for the bot is. Mm, definitely. It's interesting. There's lots of ways in which you could define complexity, isn't there, in terms of mm -hmm. like a conversational assistant? You've got the complexity of the dialogue. Is is it is it kind of like, you know, is there a lot of information that we need to get hold of? You've yeah. got the complexity of the integrations in terms of what systems you might need to integrate with. You've got multiple different systems and multiple various kind of API calls you need to do or whatever. You've got kind of the complexity of decision-making, which is, as you just mentioned there, certain outcomes are entirely different depending on small nuances of someone's situation. Right. Is there any other things that kind of, that um, I suppose add to the complexity when you're assessing a use case? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I could throw one in there for you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> one, of the, one of the complexities is also, you know, scaling not just from the bot perspective, but from a language perspective. Uh, how do we go out to different countries, different styles of speaking, different tolerances for a automated conversation? And uh, that's one big one. The other big one is how do we take this experience and tie it nicely and gracefully together with you know WhatsApp, 
SMS and the whole customer experience. So um, that's where I feel like a lot of companies are starting to put their attention. You know, they've, they've built chatbots or, or voice bots and they're at this point where it's like, okay, we have something. Uh, maybe there's room for improvement there, but how do we take this in other places and what are the other use cases? So now we're taking something that, you know, is in some cases complex and adding layers around it that really makes it super, super uh, just really thoughtful thinking has to be in place mm. to achieve that successfully. Mm, yeah, it's a good observation that the it seems as though I remember in, in kind of like must have maybe been like 2018 or so when the Alexa sort of was at the peak of its hype. And, you know, we're, you're looking at what businesses could do with conversational mm -hmm. AI. And I think COVID kind of propelled a lot of things. And now I think that there's some mm -hmm. organizations that over the last four years have matured pretty well. Obviously, there's still others that are still getting started. But the vision back then was like, that's what this should be. You should have that kind of brain that understands the business, understands your processes, understands the information in your content, understands your customers. And that brain should be able to engage and have conversations with people about whatever it is that they need to get done on any channel, you know, that they need to get it done with. And it's kind of, I think people are starting to get to that now, which is that we've got a chatbot, it's working well. Okay, now what do we do? How can we extend it? Yeah. How can we scale it? Um, and the other thing I think we haven't seen any of it, any of it yet, but it's an area of our focus for 2023 is that I think a lot of companies approach chatbots or voice assistants from a from a position of trying to, you know, I alluded to it earlier, prevent people from contacting the contact center or prevent people from getting mm -hmm. to a human. It sounds really crude, but it's like if we can just answer these questions or, or do these certain things and people mm -hmm. won't need to call us. And so what they end up doing is it's they end up kind of sticking a plaster on an injury that was that that was kind of instigated from another part of the business, if that makes sense. Right. One part of the right. business over here has some degree of failure and the contact, the chatbot picks up the slack for it. Where's my parcel? Right. This parcel arrived and it was broken, I want to exchange it. What's going on with my hosting? Why have you overcharged me? The, the issue has come from somewhere else, but the contact right. is being absorbed by the chatbot. And so, what I'm kind of interested in exploring, and you've kind of mm. alluded to it just there, is how can you use conversational AI by giving a full end-to-end -end holistic view of a service so that right. it's, not, it's, not a, it's not a thing that absorbs contact and prevents people from getting in touch with, with your live agents. It's something that is embedded throughout the customer journey from beginning to end, and it's always there when the customer needs needs it, and also it's there to be proactive so that rather than someone having to call to, to, to talk to a chap or to say, why is my parcel late? Instead, they get a text message saying, sorry, your parcel is going to be late. And if you've got any questions, you can respond to this text message. So you're kind of using conversational AI to, to craft a whole entire service. Um, and I think that's hopefully what we'll sort of start to see. And I think you kind of alluded to that by by on about, you know, putting this conversational AI into other channels and other places. Is that what the GoDaddy assistant is now is it is it purely a chatbot is it in whatsapp like where does it where does it exist today yeah so right now customers can find it on our website so if they you know in uh canada india and the united states if you just go to godaddy.com several of the web pages will have a contact us chiclet and the chatbot will pop up uh, you know we will be scaling to more countries this year looking at how we can integrate with, you know, SMS and WhatsApp. Those are all things that we're looking into this year. And I think you hit on some really good points over there. So at GoDaddy, the way that we think about it isn't to, you know, cut costs of care. We're not trying to reduce manpower. And that really changes our game because now we're thinking of it as a different kind of service where, we're using automation for the areas that are kind of low, lower complexity, you know, maybe low business value and really allowing the people, the humans to do what they're really good at, which is, you know, getting more trained and specialized in the complex areas and taking that talent pool to grow their skills there, you know? So uh, again, it kind of goes back to that balance of where and what 
you know, do we use who? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and having having that having that balance. Uh, what I wanted to mention is sort of that interesting point of what really the it comes down to what what the business case is. So when we start thinking about the chatbot, the chatbot is intended essentially for the users, the customers who are going to be there. Um, but it also, because of that, has a huge amount of data and intel that comes in. So we're getting information about, you know, how uh, our integration with with Microsoft Office works. Uh, what are the pain points there? And to your point, sometimes it's really the catch-all for problems that exist elsewhere. Uh, so I, I, you know, I, I have. I will be making it my mission and responsibility to make sure that we're communicating our findings back uh, so that the actual root of the problem can be solved. I think that's super important in mm-hmm. you know, helping the business and, and using those really critical learnings in, in a positive way. So that's, that's something that I think we'll see organizations doing more of is actually you know, starting to see where are the points that we can kind of actually help other areas of the business. At least I hope that's what people do. I think so. And, and, And there's a lot of teams who I know that part of the value of having conversational AI in place is to do exactly that. It's to gather mm-hmm. the kind of data that you can't get in other places, verbatim customer queries, issues, problems being spoken in their language, you know, at scale is kind is the data that's in contact centers, in call centers is lost in bundles of audio recordings stored in the cloud that no one can get yeah. through. Instead, you've got to just pick two per week or per day to just eyeball. And so there's so much data there. The, the, a really great example is Comwave. Uh, Canadian telco, that their assistant Penny, when it launched, was ha- was only handling end to end about five percent of calls. Eighty five, or it might be, it might be eighty five percent of calls. It was handed over mm-hmm. to a, an agent, and so from a pure objective kind of numbers point of view, it wasn't really a great bot in in, in a sense because it was just handling stuff handing stuff over to to live agents. But what it did do. Um, the it was obviously it was it was cutting down average handling time because it was gathering a bunch of information first, so it, it obviously was effective. But one of the main things that it did was through recognizing and understanding the issues that customers have, and being mm-hmm. able to feed that back to the business, they were able to reduce the reasons for people calling by thirty percent. So they actually lowered calls by 30% by fixing wow. the root cause of the problem based on the data that it was able to get from the conversational assistant, which is amazing. That's a great use case. That's amazing. Mm, yeah, all power to uh, them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there we go. Um, so yeah, so you mentioned there, you know, plans for next year. You know, kind of like expanding, expanding the the scope, expanding the the coverage of, of the the assistant, expanding it into new channels and stuff like that. Um, any kind of learnings over the last kind of year or so that you think will set you up well to be able to do that, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, the first one we went over, which is have a clear vision and use case and communicate that to everybody, make it super clear what the purpose is, what we're trying to do and, and why, you know, based off of both the customer and, and business problems that, that the use case intends to solve. Uh, the second thing is keep up with the industry. There's this technology is ever changing companies are changing with it. And I think it's really important for for those who are in in this space to keep learning. You know, we're all all learning over time. This is pretty new. Um, So keeping that curiosity, I think, is really important for driving success and really being open to what's 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 happening, what's the data saying, you know, what the receive that receiving that and uh, improving upon it. Think is really really important um, and i would say the third area is um let's see so many i can think of several but i'm going to just focus on three for this um, i would say the third area is um education and getting people getting people involved um what i've found in every place i've been in so far and every project i've worked on is there's an excitement 
around chatbots, around voice, around IVR. It is cool. So, uh, you know, with that comes this opportunity really to, to share and educate people on what this is about so that it helps keep the focus aligned of what's possible and what's not. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's a kind of a unique part of the job description <laughs> that mm. might not, you know, might not be there for, for known types of technologies. So I would say, you know, be ready to put on that hat and, and, and yeah. wear it well, you know. With great coolness comes great opportunity. <laughs> Yeah, that looks like our motto for today. There you <laughs> With go. great blank comes great blank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you are. That's cool. Um, so, what are some of the other things that have sort of in the last tw- in the last year? Given that this is the last episode of of the year, looking back over twenty twenty two, what are some of the things that have kind of really stood out to you as sort of milestones in in the conversational AI kind of space? Oh, great question. Uh, training. I think that bots have are getting better trained. I think people are starting to figure out sort of the algorithm and the science of what works well when it comes to training data. I do think there's, you know, obviously a lot more room for improvement, but it's starting to shape up in a way that's much more formalized than I've seen prior to this year. So that's, that's exciting. Um, the other area that I'd say we make in strides in is, you know, the global expansion translation. Uh, you know, one of the things while we were at the Rework Summit, a huge part of the day was devoted kind of by accident, really, just because that's where people's minds were on on localization. How do we get this out to different markets um, in, you know, in, in the world? So that that I think is really the next level of maturity being displayed. Um, so that, that's been really, really cool. And uh, the third one, which is one that is you know, something that I think about and we're really at the forefront of, and I, I, I hope that it blossoms over time, is starting to now think about, okay, we have use cases, we have visions, how, how and what and where is it you know, responsibly and ethically used? Are we thinking about that piece? Um, so that's something that I think we might have just broken into and, um, you know, we'll maybe get into more years, years from now. Yeah, I think that last point is something that we are really just scratching the surface of. So that rework yeah. summit that we were at, you know, like you brought up some really good questions in your talk about like the ethical considerations and whether people are kind of considering it or not. And like one of the takeaways that so we ended up for those that, for those that don't know, like at that summit, the last two speakers, I think, pulled out something like that. And so I got asked to do a panel in the last hour and it was like just on the spot, like we've got half an hour to plan this panel sort of thing. Like, what do you want to talk about? And we said, well, let's just talk about ethics because everyone seems to have questions about ethics. And you were asking some people that, that were in the audience some really good questions and no one seemed to have any answers. And so mm-hmm. we spent a whole hour talking about ethics and the ethical considerations of conversational AI. And what was really interesting is that there wasn't any answers at the end of that whole hour, but there was lots of really, really good questions. So yeah. it seems as though we're really at the beginning because we kind of know the questions to ask, which I think is one of the most important things, but we haven't found yeah. the answers yet. Absolutely. It was, a, it was fascinating to watch because, you know, I went into it having my, my questions to ask the audience, but not really knowing what's, what was going to come back because it was really the first time that in any event I'd been to where we kind of had that dialogue. And it was so surprising. It was... Uh, one, that it wasn't something people really thought about, but then two, really the diversity of opinion. Um, and that to me was fascinating because it almost seemed like, for example, when we talked about, you know, what, uh, where would you like conversational AI to go? You know, nobody was in the middle. It was like, you know, we really wanted to be sort of like how we are today in that it's particular use cases, uh, a little more distant part of our lives to, you know, we want full on, fully capable, you know, human-like robots. So that kind of blew my mind and just demonstrated the importance of being able to 
you know, those questions that have been formed from that, just what, what are the answers? And, uh, you know, hopefully we find some common ground. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it is really interesting. And then you look at, you look at like, um, the large language models, like chat GPT and things like that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, as fantastic as they are, there's, there's other ethical considerations in there as well around things like intellectual property. Like it's getting data from stuff that other people have created. It's being trained on that stuff without mm-hmm. anyone really giving it permission to do that, especially on the image generation ones. It's been fed right. data based on people's creative output, artists' creative output, and then it's just generating things that are very similar. In some cases, I don't know if you've seen it, but in some cases, some of the images actually have signatures, messy signatures in the bottom corner, which kind of shows that they must have been trained on images with signatures in the corner, therefore people's creative output. Yet there's no attribution in the um, with with a lot of the chat GPT stuff. There's no source kind of reference. Like here's the nine different places I got this information from. And so, well, we've lost we've lost Sonia again. But essentially, what I'm kind of getting at is that that there's a lot of questions to be answered because these large language models and other AI technologies um, are going to be able to do a lot more powerful stuff for us. Um, here we go. We've got Sonia back again. Are you with us? Uh, yeah. I was. I was just explaining there. Yeah. So, so like, one question is where is it? Where are these things getting data from? Is it kind of ethically ethically sourced and and um, fairly attributed? There's all these questions about privacy. There's all the questions about power and authority. There's questions about biases, racial biases, and all kinds of other biases in in training data. And so it's it's such an interesting area that is yeah, uh, yeah definitely worth explore well, has to be explored in 2023 i hope so <laughs> yeah yeah uh yeah nice what do you think then 2023 you know what do you think are some of the obviously we, we, we've heard a little bit about what your kind of aims are with godaddy what do you think or what you're expecting we'll see in 2023 from a kind of conversational AI industry standpoint, whether it's from a technology adoption, like some of the trends that you might kind of think that you think we'll see. Yeah. I think we're going to see wow uh, experiences where it really isn't just about isolated technologies, but how do we really come together in that whole journey, whether it's for the business or for the customer, uh, we're going to see greater integration of these conversational AI tools and platforms in ways that will be much better for the, for the user. They will be much more delightful, much, much easier, um, more graceful. Uh, and I, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to that because that's going to start feeling like we've really started arriving. Um, I, 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 that, that to me is my definition of, you know, when it really makes sense holistically and we're really doing something amazing with it. So that's what I, I think we'll get towards next year. And really, you know, a part of that is being really tailored and personalized, uh, using metadata in a way that makes sense. Um, you know, meeting, meeting the user where they are being considerate of that and and acting accordingly so that that's going to mm. be i think we'll be more wowed by by chatbots than we have been in the past <laughs> i hope so i definitely hope so um what about you mentioned earlier the the reworks um conference and also you've alluded yourself to to godaddy kind of scaling across geographies and across locales and languages what are some of your kind of considerations as you begin to do that? You've obviously got there's there's you mentioned India, I think UK and US you, you're at currently. What are some mm-hmm. of the sort of considerations that for those that haven't done as much as that in terms of gone to any other international geography and then also yeah. thinking about how do you how you're scaling that? Like what are your some of your key sort of considerations for yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, and I'll kind of speak broadly because I think there's some things that just overall are things to consider. One is uh, resources. So oftentimes we find ourselves in a situation where, you know, trying to get the job done with the same size of a, a team or no, a number of people helping out. Um, 
So that game of efficiency really becomes important. And also creativity arises from that because now it's like, okay, how do we do this in a way that we can manage, uh, you know, different sets of training data plus possibly, and that we can continue forward without, without breaking. <laughs> so uh, that's a real key consideration I have as well is just making sure we're doing things in a way that makes sense. And my, my feeling towards that is to really, really start small and know what the plan of attack is. So, you know, trying to be like, you know, pinky in the brain, we're going to take over the world in one year might not be the, <laughs> the smoothest move, but kind of curating, you know, the, in these particular areas, these are the types of uh, inquiries that come to us, or these are the use cases that really make sense. Pinpoint those high impact areas and do those really well. Um, that, that I think is going to be really important for, for being able to expand, uh, well. Um, and then the third one is, you know, kind of watch data and see, see where the impact really is. There's no, there's no value in spending time on things that need, you know, are on the developmental list or the desire to build list, but don't, don't add value to, to anybody. So, um, letting that really guide. Mm it's interesting when you think about kind of scaling into different locales. I remember must've been about 2018. We did a couple of podcasts on kind of internationalization and, and translating conversational experiences into different languages and stuff like that. And one of the interesting parts was around kind of persona design and how, you know, for example, in the UK, mm -hmm. if you were to build your persona on like a post postman or postwoman mm -hmm. someone who delivers the mail then in the uk although they're friendly it's not you wouldn't necessarily get into a long deep conversation with the postman you wouldn't like yeah. you don't know their names and so like that whereas in france you do and they're very they're very much like neighbors and you'll stop for 10 minutes and talk and stuff so i think it was micah coppins that mentioned like when you create a person a persona for different geographies cultural things are different um, yeah. with, you may have similar use cases, I would imagine, for GoDaddy, for example. GoDaddy does a mm -hmm. certain number of stuff. Maybe some geographies don't have quite the breadth that other geographies have, but broadly speaking, they probably do the same sort of stuff. And so you might be able to get away with some of the conversational patterns being similar. But is there any things in particular that are distinctly different about That's GoDaddy in one country versus another? That's a great question. And I'll be curious about that because we haven't, you know, I think we'll have to do it first before before we'll find out. So I'm going to be really curious about that. Um, I kind of have looked into just from an industry perspective. You know, what are the different regional different like regional um, uh, like behaviors? Um, and from like from that, I found that oftentimes in um, like in Asia, you know, people are more in the interest of one using other channels so they would much prefer to get on you know whatsapp to handle mm -hmm. their their issue than anywhere else um so that makes a difference and then two you know much more likely to just type like human person <laughs> um just wanting to to get to get to that um it typically uh the european and uh you know north american countries are a little bit more used to the chatbot system, like, you know, people know about it, people know how it works, it's what they're expecting. Um, and there's a huge percentage of people that actually want to not, they just want to get it done there. They don't want to mm. talk to a person, they don't want to connect, they want to just resolve their issue and, and do it as quickly as possible. So I'm going to be really curious about how the cultural differences pan out. And it'll be very interesting to see if, if and how the behaviors might be different. Mm, yeah. And to get to that point, to get to the point where you are scaling it to different countries, the business must be really behind it. They must understand what the value is because they surely want to replicate that value elsewhere. So how how, how does GoDaddy determine whether this is a success? And how do you have those conversations with with stakeholders around like how are we measuring the success of this kind of thing? You mentioned having a strong vision. 
how do you yeah. turn that into what yeah. actually is happening yeah i think i think it's important to have the business uh the overall business strategy involved like we want to go out to different markets because if that's not there then all of a sudden the conversation with stakeholders changes but if that support is there from an overall company standpoint then the story is more about okay how and why and where do we do this rather than should we should we do this um, so i think that's the first part is having that support and then the second part about that is um so like i'll give the example for godaddy like right now if you were to go to some of the godaddy uh websites in other countries like um trying to think of the top of my head uh, like some of our smaller English speaking countries, for example, uh, we actually give the phone number on the home page, or you can find it very easily on, on Google. And like, as you know, that's not really the model that most companies are going towards. And so for us, it's very simple how we measure success. If we add the chat bot, uh, are we reducing phone calls? <laughs> hmm. uh, the answer will be yes, because we're there. The, the net is only positive as possible. Uh, so if, if that's how initially that's what it'll be. It'll just simply be the difference in, uh, in containing the right, right kind of inquiries. Um, hmm. So that again, that, you know, the people can stay spending time on things that people should be spending time on. Um, I think what we'll see in 2024, if we want to go a little beyond is, okay, so, you know, we did that. Now, how do we go? Where do we go from there? You know, what do we fine tune? Uh, what are the areas of improvement? I think the metrics for that will change over time. Mm. It's interesting. The GoDaddy is, I suppose, similar to a lot of other companies that have a lot of kind of demand, which is that, Obviously, you need to do, you need to be a service the the amount of people that call. But some companies, I won't name any names, but I've moved moved house recently, and uh, I will name names anyway. Virgin Media <laughs> don't have a particularly fantastic. When you do get through to someone, the 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 customer service isn't always particularly fantastic. Um, I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's lack of training, whether or, or whatever it is. But every time I've had an issue with GoDaddy, so I use GoDaddy for our website. I've always used GoDaddy actually for mm. probably more than ten years. Um, and every time I've needed to have an issue resolved, I've always called, and it's always been a really good service. So, mm -hmm. the the my I haven't used the chatbot, but my expectation of GoDaddy is that it's got really good service. I, I I can't remember really waiting on hold that often. The people who I speak to are generally pretty good. Um, so how do you take the essence of that, which is really good customer service, easy enough to get through to someone, get your issue resolved nine times out of 10, really polite. So that's the essence. How do you take that and then instill that same vibe into the conversational experiences without because because some people might just perceive chatbots as just getting in the way and they don't work uh, i've had a bad experience with other chatbots so i'm not going to use this one how do you sort of take that yeah the essence of that experience and get it into the chatbot so it is a tall order for us to be able to emulate you know what is a great customer experience like our our customer supports award-winning so then try to recreating that in the chatbot is uh is a, is a challenge and I, that's part of what I like is that challenge of how do we do it. Um, so I think there's a, there's a couple things there. One is making sure we have a consistent voice, tone, personality that mirrors the vibe of what a person would experience when, when they you know call or, or, or chat somewhere else with a, with a person at GoDaddy. Um, the other thing is really like we're not like if we're not trying to block the person from getting the user from getting to a person. So, you know, if they, if they would like that, uh, in fact, sometimes we'll present like, okay, do you want to call or do you want to chat with the human being? Um, so we're not really trying to block them for that. We're really trying to be there for the cases where it makes sense for self-service. Uh, I think that, kind of surprises people and that makes them feel like it's a little bit of a better experience than some other chatbots that just kind of loop and never, you know, really are just trying to not get you to a person. That's not our goal. Um, so that really helps kind of build that trust with, with, with the user. 
Um, and then I'd say the third thing is, is, you know, if you typically call GoDaddy, you can get your issue resolved and it seems to be that the person knows and can help you. Um, so trying to emulate that where we're really able to be sort of their guide and their buddy and we have a ton of different issues we can help them resolve uh, so that they can again feel like, oh, this is, this is uh, some, something that can help me. So those are three ways that we try to do that. And, you know, obviously it's a work in progress because it's, uh, it's, it's hard to be as good as a person. <laughs> um, especially when you're a customer support, it has to be doing an outstanding job. It's, it's a tall order for a chatbot to do that. So yeah. those good. are the, those are, yeah. Yeah, that's nice. That's a good approach, though, and it's 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 like it's like you've been alluding to. It's it's using the conversational AI for what it's good at, and using people for what they're good at, and then together mm-hmm. you end up with with the best of both worlds. That's kind of the 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 whole point, really. I think I've got a bit of a chip yeah. on my shoulder and a bit of a gripe from from some uh, some things I've seen recently from other other kind of companies where I'm thinking, you know, there was House of Fraser one I was testing yesterday the other day. And it's just the worst thing I've ever seen. It's quite clearly there to to basically keep you in that chatbot and not get your issue yeah. resolved to the point where it is maddening. It is absolutely maddening. And so it's it's so strange how I've, I don't understand how companies can, can do this because it gives everyone a bad kind of rep. But I think from... Mm. from you know, from hearing, um, you know, everything that you've been saying, I think it's, it's it seems as though you're kind of using it properly using it for the best of both worlds as i said use the conversational life for the use cases that make sense where you can add value where it's going to be easier for people and use the people for that long tail really complex stuff where you know it'd probably be a while before before chatbots and stuff will really be able to to solve that stuff anyway you know yeah absolutely i'm with you on that nice well this has been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for joining me i really really have appreciated the the chat it's been absolutely amazing um and uh yeah hopefully we can do it again when you've uh when you've got it up and running in a few more channels in a few more countries and we'll see what the learnings are there thank you yeah thank you so much for having me it's such a pleasure and it's so much fun to talk to you about all this stuff so yeah i appreciate it nice one likewise and have a very merry christmas thank you yes Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy All Holidays to everybody watching. It is going to be a great 2023. I can feel it. Indeed, indeed. On that note, we'll leave it there. Thank you all, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, for joining me. Have a very Merry Christmas and a Happy Hanukkah, uh, and we'll see you in 2023. See you soon.